LightSource is available free of charge through studiolighting.net. You can support LightSource by visiting supportlightsource.com. There you can donate through the tip jar, purchase a lighting DVD, get a discount on website hosting through squarespace.com, or you can visit our affiliate links for Adorama or amazon.com where you can shop for camera gear or photography books, and a portion of those proceeds will help support LightSource. I am Kevin Clark. I'm a headshot and food and lifestyle photographer. You're listening to LightSource. And welcome to episode 89 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm a hidden exclusive photographer with iStockPhoto.com. On today's episode, we have an interview with uh, Kevin Clark. Follow along at his website at KevinClarkStudios.com and his blog, which is KevinClarkStudios.com slash blog. And in the right-hand column, he has the link to uh, his various commercial websites. He has his advertising, Kevin Clark Studios, and he has an edibles where he specializes in his food photography. And then he has a headshots one where he has his headshots website. And uh, it's really interesting to talk to him. It it was a cool interview. He did have some really good... uh, I I think the funniest thing that that came out of it, and it will come out, is he talked about it wasn't much of a step to go from uh, headshots to food photography because... A plate of food is the same size as a human head. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the one that, that really cracked me up about it. But he'll go through and talk a lot about you know the different ways that he lights and things. And he actually goes through some of the stuff on the blog and through his website. So if you have a computer here handy, it'll probably help a lot in this interview so you can pull up some of the stuff that we actually chat about. Yep. We'll put links to all these different websites in the show notes for studiolighting.net. Well, in the meantime. It's good to have you back. It is good to be back. For the people that are, you know, get a show every, uh, what, three weeks now or so right now, they probably don't know I was gone. That's true. <laughs> I, I took a little photo trip, went out to Arizona. It was a nice stock of photo mini lips. Uh, one of the members out there, Ethan Meyerson, E. Meyerson on iStock Photo, if you want to check him out, enlisted the help of a couple Arizonans out there and put on this uh, really cool three-day lips. Friday, we were in his studio. Saturday, we were in the villas that we were at. We had about 20 photographers, and uh, at some points, it seemed like we had about 20 models at least. So there was never really wow. a shortage of stuff to to do. And then Sunday, we started out in the desert. And again, different stations broke into groups and rotated models, rotated photographers again, and uh, ended up in Ethan's studio. And it got to be a little chaotic. With uh, you know, We expected that... Um, you know, be the last day of the event and things would kind of like die down a little bit. And, but it ended up that everyone showed up to try and get as much as they could in the last day. So we had all the photographers in a small studio, <laughs> all of the models. So as it was getting to be a, you know, a little tense and a little cramped for space, um, me and two of my friends, we took off and uh, found ourselves a, uh, about a, a high point that we could in Arizona and, and basically just shot the sunset, which was really cool. That is cool. And you've got some really great photos of that evening, I thought, on uh, on your Flickr feed. Yeah, I have them on Flickr. I also have them on my Squarespace site, which is at hidden.squarespace.com. I, on that post, I have a little real brief thing at the moment about some of the, the highlights of the trip, uh, links to some of the, the places where you'll be able to see some of the images that were shot at the lips, and some of the desert stuff. Uh, I took one of the mornings and went for uh, a little hike before everything got started just by myself and went up through uh, one of the state parks and just kind of checking things out. I took the, the flip video out there and um, it was before I hacked it. I wanted to make sure I used it on the trip before I, I, I glued stuff to the face of it. You should probably explain that. 
I had seen a couple people posting about this, and uh, I, I believe the first one that I saw that it did it was Zach Arias. Hmm. When he did that transform video that was so popular for a while. Oh, right. He had taken a wide-angle lens that you would kind of screw on the front of a, a point-and-shoot camera, and since the flip video doesn't actually have a screw mount for the lens, he glued it to the face of it just because, it, you know, wide-angle looks so much better. Than- That's great. So, yeah, so I, I used a Tiffin digital lens converter. It actually came with screw mounts that you could adapter from different size threads. So I, I just picked the one that kind of sit as most stable on the face of the flip as I could. Took my time with impatience with gluing it on there and making sure. I used a really nice, uh, I believe it's called Gorilla Glue. It's a little stronger than... Ah, uh, yes. Gorilla Glue is awesome stuff. So we'll see how long it holds on to it. Um, one of the other photographers from my stock, uh, Scott Newmeyer, said he had did a similar setup and it. I think he said his lasted about eight months before the, the glue cracked and that just finally wouldn't stick to it. Excellent. Well, it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was definitely, it was pretty neat. I, I learned a bunch of different stuff. I was going to take my wife's laptop with me. Um, my laptop has finally bit the dust, so I was going to take her laptop with me, but it wouldn't fit in my camera bag with me. She has like a 15-inch Lenovo. So I knew I was going to need something to back my photos up to while I was on the trip. So I ended up picking up one of the new little netbooks, a kind of little Acer 10-inch netbook. Oh, nice. It's really cool. I figured it would also make a good prop, too, for stock photography. <laughs> right. As they're getting more popular, I figure, you know. Absolutely. Probably not going to be too many of them out there right now. Now, were you able to actually, I mean, sometimes I hear about the power of them not being, you know, quite up to speed. I, I read a, a bit about them beforehand. Um, I had seen some people saying that they were able to run Lightroom on it. Wow. So I figure, all right, you know, as long as I'm able to use the cataloging features of Lightroom, I'd be able to do some keywording on the plane, be able to organize stuff into collections and things like that. Sure. I really didn't care too much about using the develop module, but I actually ended up being able to develop a few photos in Lightroom while I was out there and post on Facebook or Flickr or any of those places. And I was really impressed. You have to be patient. Right. But you can run it. And that's that's what really floored me is you know it's this little you know 160 gig hard drive windows xp it's only one gigabyte of ram but i did make sure that i got the one that's the the intel atom n280 processor um the n270 is the last generation it has a little bit of a a front side bus speeds a little bit slower in that one so i wanted to make sure that even though i wasn't gonna go all out at least get the newer processor so that's very cool well, I was really impressed. It's, it's, yeah, I, I was thinking I was only going to really use it for, for capturing stuff, but it's a really handy little thing to have around. When I'm working at night on my computer, I'll have it um, on a little laptop stand beside them, capturing on that instead of on my main PC anymore. Huh. Almost like running dual monitors, except I'm running a whole separate processor, so I'm not slowing down my main system for doing regular work. So it's it's actually pretty effective. Wow, that's good to know, because I was wondering about that. Sometimes you see just really good deals on netbooks, and uh, after watching the Google OS demo the other day, <laughs> I've been thinking about the same thing. It's good to well, know. I think I spent you know just a little bit over 300 on mine, so I mean, it, for, nice. it was... And I took a little portable hard drive with me, so when I copied them into Lightroom, I made immediate backup to the portable hard drive. So I had two copies of it, and if I really needed to wipe out a card, I would have been comfortable doing that, but I I just kept using the cards that I had, so that way I had three copies. But, you know, if I would have wanted to wipe one of them out, 
and start reshooting again, I would have felt comfortable enough with having the two copies of it. Yeah. Usually the rule, I forget exactly where I'd heard this, but someone said, you know, if you don't have three copies of it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's been kind of a, a gear month for you then. It kind of has been a little bit of a gear month. Got the radio poppers, started playing with those. We talked about this right before the show. I finally got a little hot shoe that I can plug my a sink cable into to trigger a speed light and put it on just a, a light stand with an umbrella. And actually, those are on the Flickr feed as well, some of the ones near the top. of. Uh, That's cool. It's really freeing, I bet, to just kind of completely get rid of wires for a while. It's amazing. <laughs> it's You wouldn't think that you know it's as constraining as what it was, but it really is. Sure. There were a couple people out in Arizona that you know, I'd taken the radio poppers with me and we were using them, and a lot of the people had alien bees out there. So they were a little confused when I started plugging them in, and I wasn't plugged into the port that everyone else was plugging into. I was plugging into the phone jack port. Right. People had heard of radio poppers, but they thought about them in terms of speed lights. They didn't realize that they have the new JRX studios that are out there. Oh, okay. When I would talk to people and they would say, well, what's that and what are those dials for? And, and I'd say, well, you... You know, if you want to turn down your key light, you just dial this down and, and fire your test button and your power's adjusted. And so many people just like giving this look like, no, how did you do that? But it's, <laughs> it's really cool to see the reaction of people. You got to give them props. They've really made them. They've really done a great job, I think. I think the thing is that you and I have played with some of the setups that, that are some of the, the affordable and expensive setups that really they didn't have very good reliability. And right. we had a lot of frustration with them. And it's so nice to have just a setup that you, know, you put it on your camera and it's firing and it's triggering every time. Right. There were a bunch of people that had the cyber commanders out there and they seemed you know, pretty decent as well. I mean, they were nice. They fired every time and they just kind of worked. So it was cool to actually see those in use. And they're really tiny as well. And it was probably, I don't know, it was about the size of a two CF cards stuck together sitting on top of your flash. So, I mean, they're pretty, pretty, pretty small. Oh, there was another thing that I, I really got to like out there. One of the, the iStock members, uh, Doug Barry, he was using one of those Hoodman hood loops. Oh, yeah. And even in the studio, when he put that on, it, it did a great job of magnifying it, blocked out all the light. And I was like, wow, I was like, I can like actually use the LCD a lot better than I could sure. without it. You found that to be really effective then. Yeah, I think that's going to be on the eventual purchase list. Nice. It's amazing. Very cool. Well, uh, there's not a whole lot of news going on this week, but there was one or two little little things that we had we had been ch- talking about right before the show. The Diana lens that you sent me, tell me about that. What's the deal with that? Well, um, the Diana lens is kind of like the adding retro to your digital SLR. I think it, I'm not sure if it's an actual Russian lens. I think it's actually made by Holga, but I'm not 100% certain on that, or at least the Lomo brand of, of Holga. And it kind of gives that Holga look to your you know digital SLR. I know we spend so much money on you know making sure that we get the best lenses and the best right. quality images. <laughs> Someone comes out with a $60 lens that you know makes it look like a, a photo from Lovely. 40 years ago. Lovely plastic lens that transforms your beloved metal and glass into a digital toy camera. Exactly. So, yeah, that's the description from, from the page there. It's interesting. <laughs> Make their images look like a, you know, a $20 film camera. Yeah, yeah. I was, we were joking around. I said you could probably get away with just stretching a piece of cellophane over, over your 50 millimeter. Calling again, <laughs> get pretty close. You probably could get very close to that. <laughs> 
And it would probably have less chromatic aberration too. <laughs> That's true. That was an interesting, uh, interesting product. I don't know. There's kind of a, a, a cool little low techness to it. That's sure. Yeah. Kind of like lens baby, you know, lens babies are kind of that way. They're, they're fun to right. play around with. And yeah, occasionally you hit something cool and go, Ooh, Oh, well, speaking of lens babies, they have a contest going on right now. They're asking for submissions for a chance to be published in a new Lens Baby book that's coming out. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's what? Lensbaby.com slash get published, I think, is the URL to it. Right. Uh, for me, it was just fun looking through you know some of the images that have been submitted. Because I've, I've always enjoyed the effect that the Lens Baby can have. And it's always neat to see how people have applied it. Oh, look at that. There are the submissions. You got to scroll yeah. on the page to see those. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's worth checking out. And if you're the contest type, it's an opportunity for you. And it looks like the submissions are due by December 31st at 6 p.m. PST. So you can do those all from the... It looks like you can do those direct from this page as well. There's a little upload button. You get two photos to upload. So uh, if you have a lens baby, give it a shot and see. uh, You might be able to get published. Absolutely. Before we get to the interview, and I know we're kind of running a little bit long here, it's... Um, I had sent you a couple links here with this new netbook. I've been using Lightroom a lot more for you know doing a lot of cataloging. You know, instead of actually taking a break at lunch and stuff, I, I sit down with the, the netbook in the lunchroom and start going through photos and keywording and cataloging and moving things into collections. And since the trip, I've kind of had like a, a new uh, rejuvenation towards uh, getting some of my, my collection off of my drive and out and about in different places. There's been a series of articles. There was actually one that was started by a friend of mine, Rob Sylvan. Rob is one of the authors of the Lightroom for Dummies book. Um, he also runs a website called lightrumors.com. Oh, very uh, cool. He, yeah, he had posted an article that was published on PhotoFocus um, that's called 10 Things I Wish I Could Tell Every New Lightroom User. Excellent. He has some really good tips on yeah. And uh, he really summed it up great where he was saying that he goes, there's no better tutorial to this. And he, if he had it his way, it would ship with Lightroom install and autoplay the first time you start up the app. That's oh, nice. how important that wow. video is. And then there's a lot of other things about renaming and moving and all kinds of different things like that. Uh, so those are some really good tips to follow up. And that also inspired Scott Kelby to do a post on his blog titled 10 Things I Would Tell Lightroom Users. And he tells 10 different things that, (laughs) (laughs) so he kind of stole Rob's thunder a little bit, but he credited Rob at the beginning of it. That's great. So he had some really good tips. And the one that he mentioned that I've been using a lot is um, the panels. There is a solo mode that I never knew existed. And if you select the solo mode, it will only open one palette at a time. So if you're dealing with, say, your basic corrections in the develop module, you only see that. And if you click on tone curve, it collapses the basic module and opens the tone curve palette. Oh, okay. So when you're working on a tiny little 10-inch screen, that tip was like... Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. And the other one that that was killing me was the little panels on the sides and the top, and you can set them to like fly in and fly out when you roll over them and things like that. Right. That's been great. But it drives me nuts, especially on the little screen. I I even have my on my notebook netbook. I have the little taskbar set to high auto hide, so I get as you know I, I gain back those twenty pixels at the bottom because I really need those. So in the, in the panels, there's a little right if you right click on them in each one of the corners of the you know the panel at the top, the left, the right, and the bottom. There's a selection that you can use that says manual, so that way you actually have to click the little pop up arrow. Mm. 
to drag those panels in and out. And that has been a huge, huge time saver as well for me. Very cool. Yeah, well, that sounds like a couple of great resources for people that are into Lightroom. That's a, that's a lot of info to digest for people. It has been. If you want to find out more about us or chat with us, you can check us out on Twitter. And uh, I'm using my Squarespace site a, little, a lot more, so you can check it out there and comment on the posts. And so if you have any more in-depth discussion about some of the stuff that we talked about, you can always check it out there. And as well, you can also go to studiolighting.net. Welcome to this edition of The Light Source. We have with us this evening a very talented photographer from Vancouver, uh, Kevin Clark. Uh, Kevin comes to us as a suggestion from a listener. We're going to be talking with him about uh, his photography, his lighting, and all the steps of his business. Uh, welcome for joining us, Kevin. Hi. Nice to be so, here. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, yeah. I'm, I got stuck on one of your websites. Actually, if people want to check it out here to start out, it's kevinclarkheadshots.com. And uh, kind of jumped over there to kevinclarkstudios.com slash blog. Kind of spilled out into a bunch of sites from there. You have a, a bunch of different sites. Um, how do you typically position yourself as a photographer? Like when people ask you what you do, uh, what uh, do you tell them? I kind of sell myself in different markets. So um, for my commercial work, I tend to say I'm a food photographer, or I should say a food and lifestyle uh, photographer with an emphasis on food. Uh, when I'm doing headshots, I, I'm a headshot photographer, right? I don't try and I, I try not to mix those two because the advertising world isn't really, you know, big on headshot photographers. So I kind of separate them a bit, um, and that's why I have the separate. Which came first, just out of curiosity? Headshot. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I actually, I should say, uh, commercial work started first, but then you know, Vancouver was a sort of you know, like it was 20 years ago now. Uh, when 21 Jump Street came here and everybody jumped on the uh, acting bandwagon up here and the film industry got really big. Mm. So it looked like a natural way to go. So I ended up spending most of my time doing that. And I think for the last 15 years I've spent, uh, for the first 15 years it was, I was mostly headshots. Then I uh, decided to get in the food about five years ago and, and the lifestyle stuff came with it as well. So wow. just to wow. keep myself having fun, you know. It's an interesting I, transition, uh, I, mainly because uh, couple of food photographers that we've talked to in the past began with food and then began slowly introducing people into their images because that was more complicated. And yeah. so you've kind of done the reverse. That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, food just sits there. It's kind of, I, mean, <laughs> right. I, I love, I love both. <laughs> you know, I still, every day I still, when I'm shooting actors, uh, and it's mostly actors I shoot, I do realtors and, and CEOs and, you know, business type stuff, but it's mostly actors. And, I always find it interesting. I've been doing it for 20 years, and I still find something different out of somebody every time. So wow. that's why I enjoy that part. But the food stuff is uh, is a whole other ball game. I mean, it's working with a team and you know, a stylist, and uh, and of course, I love food, but I can't cook it all. But, but <laughs> I, I good. Yeah. when you moved into food, did you find that a lot of your experience from uh, headshots and so forth? translated or was it kind of like yeah. starting all over again no it absolutely did yeah um one of the things that i that i've always done with headshots is i try and focus on what's important which is the, the face right mm. and um i've carried that through to my food photography as well so i a lot of the and a, you know a, a head is about the same size as a plate of food so in generally speaking so it's something that i'm used to you know photographing right so size wise and that kind of thing and a lot of the lighting that i use 
franchise. I actually, you know, kind of got the concepts, sort of used the concepts in food as well. So certainly the approach is similar. That's great. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I would expect someone to say about, um, you know, oh, well, the colors are the same or this is the same. I, I, I never really thought about it as like, you know, you know, a plate of food's about the same as a person. So I just treat it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Size, size wise and you know and just I, I i use backlighting a lot and you know rim lighting and stuff on people and, and it seems to work really good with food as well wow yeah cool. well so give us just a rough sketch of how you got into photography i was uh, an art student taking uh graphic design and my second year i had a elective of photography i'd never touched a camera in my life and uh i just went crazy wow. i mean I, I loved it i mean it just it was my passion and it has been ever since so that's great you know i, I did some design for a while but i mean i really i i was mostly photography since i got out of school so and so i guess you you looked into commercial right out of the gate so to speak uh, that's what i started with although i quickly because i had there was an agency an acting agency down the street from me that that, that hired me to, to do some headshots, I, and, it, and it sort of caught on relatively quickly. Um, so I stayed in that area just because it was it was you know I had jobs right. So and it kind of filled all my time. So and I, I found it interesting too. So I kept it up. And this, actually, the commercial stuff I I really didn't do that much of it for 15 years after I got into the headshots. So. Oh. Well, did you yeah. did you start with a studio or did a lot of equipment? Did you how did how did that part of it work? Uh, I've I've always had a studio, um, or at least shared a studio. Um, the equipment, no, I I started uh, with I had a Bronica SQA, I think that I bought, and then I was um, really broke and uh, <laughs> ended up I think I was selling all my gear. A friend of mine had a studio. I I borrowed his gear. We got in financial difficulties, and he was doing okay, and I wasn't. And he said, "Well, I'm going to go and get a studio by myself because I didn't have any money." So, so I uh, didn't have any equipment. So I ended up going up north for six months and raising money to, you know, working as a as a machinist helper to buy my first set of gear. So I bought a, another Bronica and uh, some Speedotron 1200s uh, brown lines, which I still have actually, and that's and then some soft boxes, and that's how I got started. Basically, uh, like having my own stuff. That's a great story. Yeah. To working your way into the into the business. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, I just I I worked basically to be a photographer, and then I just happened to get uh, hooked up with a modeling agency when I got back to town, and that gave me steady work for a while, for about two years, and then I made the switch. I I, I, my, I should say my wife has worked with me for the last twenty years, and uh, she's a makeup artist, That's and great. so. Yeah, so we um, sort of uh, survived on nothing for quite a while, and uh, the the steady gig from the uh, from the acting agency or the modeling agency helped us a lot. Uh, we made no money. Uh, my wife sold prints. Uh, like I got paid ten dollars a roll to do the uh, to do the shooting. I think I think I shot thirty people in a day. Um, so wow. just that's one. I think that's one thing to say about about uh, shooting headshots. So is it's really good to shoot a lot of them. Um, and I did. I shot, you know, a ton at first. I mean, I shoot, th- I, I shoot three people now in a day at the most. Mm. Then I was shooting 30, and uh, basically we didn't get paid anything for the shoot, but we sold prints, and that's how we made our living. Okay. Um, my wife is a good salesman. <laughs> that's and, great. Uh, yeah. 
one of the questions that, that I wanted to ask you as we've spoken yeah. with one or two other headshot photographers in different markets is yeah. most guys in that industry have indicated that there can be styles that are sort of geologic. In other words, different parts of the the country or in your case in, in Vancouver. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that there's a, a look that goes with your market? Yeah, I mean, the agents say so. I, I think I am always changing my look, so I don't know that that there is specifically, although I've been shooting in Toronto a little bit lately. I notice it's different there. And L.A., I'd say Vancouver is kind of like L.A., but not exactly. L.A. is a little more glitzy and glamorous. We're a little bit more natural up here. Mm. I would say that would be the, the main difference. I think lighting styles and stuff like that tend to be similar. I mean, there's I notice in L.A., of course, they, they use a lot of natural light right. um, because it's there. Uh, in Vancouver here, it's, it rains a lot, so... I, I and I like I love natural light, so I've spent a lot of time developing ways in the wintertime because it used to drive me crazy uh, in, in the winter, <laughs> trying to figure out how to shoot in this darkness, right? And so I figured out ways of lighting that looks like natural light in the studio. So well, uh, Ed and I were just talking right before the show. We sort of were flipping coins, saying, "What do you think, natural yeah. or artificial?" And we are waiting. I said, yeah. "It's got to be. It's got to be artificial." But it looks yeah. so natural, and. um would you care to share with us a little bit of some of some of how you've gotten to this style that looks so so real? Yeah, I uh, I mean I use the thing the big epiphany I had a few years back because I used to I've always used soft boxes and stuff like that, and I had these brown lines that I had. Uh, the problem I had with them is they were always too powerful. Uh, if, if I was trying to shoot at uh, you know f I, I don't want to shoot at f eight. I like shooting at f four f two point eight, and my lights were just too darn powerful so uh i ended up getting a 580 a few years back and and putting it in uh, a huge large chimera softbox and turning it down to one thirty second or even one sixty fourth of a you know a power wow. and and then using then using that as my main light source and then having uh basically the daylight which of course is pretty low in vancouver in, in the winter time as my you know <laughs> as my fill and as my uh, backlight and stuff like that oh wow when you're saying a 580, you're saying like a like a Canon speedlight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I use mind you, I found it burnt out after a year. It just couldn't handle it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I bought some. I, I mean, I really use like cheap little lights. I got these Ellen Crom D lights, uh, twos, uh, which are 200 watt second lights. But I, you can dial them really down low. So um, that's what I use for most of my stuff. Huh. Um, and they're like 350 bucks or something like that. They're really cheap. Now they're very consistent as far as the the light is concerned. They don't they don't tend to vary at all. Like my old Speedatrons, they just they're all over the place. But these things are uh, I know mighty those things are 25 years old. Uh, but the uh, the D lights are very consistent light wise, and and uh, I usually I use them in my I have a seven foot octabank that I use for a lot of my stuff now. And I have that I set it at like one and you know keep it really low still and i've got a couple of these uh uh fluorescent banks uh that i use as well for backlight sometimes um you know for i I try and keep those really low as well i mean i shoot it typically at uh, 800 iso oh really 2400 yeah wow um i mean it works great for you know, I'm using a 5D Mark II, and there's no problem. I, I mean, I should say I've done that since the uh, 20D, actually. Wow. Shooting it under, yeah. Great. Now, yeah. so you're basically using uh, a large, soft light source for with a small small flash. 
Yeah. Uh, and then you use the ambient light for the balance of your fill. Yeah, yeah. Do you find and backlighting and stuff like that? Okay. Do you find challenges in mixing those light sources, or how do you handle things like white balance? No, I you know I, I use a gray card always, okay. um, and I and I use it you know close to the subject, uh, and it's usually the main light that I focus on. The backlight, I mean, it tends to be it, it can be a little blue sometimes uh, up here, but I don't mind that. I, I play with it sometimes. I use it. Uh, in my, you know, for my advantage, and uh, I, because the background is very out of focus, usually um, it doesn't really interfere that much. Uh, I mean, my my daylight balance fluorescents, which are have Kinoflow uh, things in them, they were they're too they were too blue, so I had to mm. put a yellow on them, um, but just a you know slight one, so it, it all balances pretty well now. Okay. Um, the other thing I do with those D lights is I is I take the I don't have any kind of um, it's just a bare bulb thing and I just bounce it off. I mean I'm I'm sure that other people do this, but bounce it off walls. I mean in the corner mm. and different like that all the time. I, I always the, the difference I think what I do is I take those big black and white uh, foam core eight by four sheet of panels and I make these little books out of them. You know, or big books I should say. And I use sure. those to cut the light, so because I want to make the the face be the main thing, and so I'll take uh, say one of those panels and I'll have it a black panel that somebody's standing beside, um, and I feather the light off of them. Right? So do you, know, do you understand what I mean by that? So you're restricting the light from hitting the parts of the the subject that you don't want lit well. Yeah, and I, I tend to do that. Like I tend to keep the front of the face lit, and uh, even if the light's from the side, I'll I'll have a light. I'll have something like a black card or something on the other side of the on the side of the face to to make it fall off, so that you know how you can get the the, the rim light and stuff. Well, it doesn't show up if you have the light hitting the face completely. Mm. So you have to have some way of cutting it, right? Right. Um, wow. So that's one of the things I do. I do the same with food. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a difference between shooting men and women in terms of just general setups? Yeah. I, uh, I, of course, I, as most people would think I, I would do it, I tend to shoot women more frontal generally with the light, uh, you know, the light's softer. Although, you know, with, with Photoshop and stuff, of course, you have a lot of um, abilities to get rid of stuff. But generally speaking, I try and make women a little more, you know, I, I like them softer generally. Uh, men, I tend to have the light more side, you know, coming from the side more and a little more dramatic. That being said, I do do it on women sometimes, and there's some women that it's not an issue with. But you know, generally, that's that's what I do. I really like the punch in some of the corporate images that you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that is that different than doing model model portfolios? They just seem to have. I don't know if it's a little bit more contrast, maybe just a slightly different, a little more. Yeah, I don't like. Yeah, it depends on what I'm what I'm doing. I don't I don't think so. I think I, I I do approach it. I mean, I do everything different every time. I don't <laughs> I don't try and I don't have a system. I mean, I have systems, but they're sort of loose, right? <laughs> and, and that, that's that's the beauty of of digital, right? It's like I, my my whole thing is is what if you know? I mean, I've got a digital camera. I can see it right now. Uh, so why not try it, right? And I, so I just do that now. I don't I don't restrict myself in any way to anything because because you don't know it might work right so that's a good point uh, yeah well then do you plan ahead much when you're uh, approaching a headshot session or um, you mentioned that you only shoot three people a day now D- yeah. do you do different 
locations with that individual, different poses and so forth? I, you know, I love to shoot different places, and I, and I like to be surprised by stuff. But, uh, you know, in the, in the wintertime in Vancouver, it's basically I'm in my studio, and I have to come up with new stuff all the time. I mean, it's, it's really hard. Hmm. Um, so I tend to, that's why the backgrounds tend to be really blurry, and, uh, and I try and find different ways of, of working with what I have, right? And uh, so it's, it's a fun challenge, um, and, and I'm comfortable with it now. But I don't, and my wife's always giving me a hard time about this because she's sort of, she is my partner and she always has good ideas, but, but she always wants me to plan ahead and I can't really do that until I <laughs> see the person and start working. Right? Wow. So, so, you know, and I, and I don't know, it's just kind of what comes to my mind at the time, most of the time. Uh, that being said, I've been doing this a long time, so I, I know I'm doing different setups, right? And so. Well, yeah. while you're talking about, since you, you tend to, to work like that where you, you got to see the person and, and then get your idea about stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get yourself cornered and you have a person and you're going, Oh, I, you know, what do I do now? Do you uh, ever yeah. get yourself into that situation? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, what I, what I do and what happens a lot of times is I'll start shooting something and I try and I try and I can't get it down. There's something missing. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on what's not working. And then I tried, you know, three or four different things. And then all of a sudden something will click. And, and you can't, I mean, a lot of times I know, you know, uh, what it is that makes a person look good, uh, but sometimes you don't. And, but then when I find it, that's the other thing about digital is I start pounding away on that thing, right? I start saying, okay, this is working. So let's go in this direction. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, um, I, I like, I think of it as sculpting. I mean, really, it's kind of like you're taking layers away or you're creating a light and you're eventually you find something that works and then you kind of uh, make that tighter and tighter until you get exactly what you're looking for. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, when, when you're having a session where you're working with a model, whether it's, you know, an actor or a corporate client or things like that, yeah. and I know you say yeah. that you do with you're at the point now about doing like three people a day, about how long is your typical session with that particular person? Do, I mean, um, do you split evenly or? Yeah, we have we have a pretty specific amount of time for we spend two and a half hours with a guy and three and a half hours with women. Reason being is that women take the makeups longer, basically. Sure. So yeah, so they take a lot more effort that way, and you know they they got different looks and stuff like that. Guys are typically a lot easier makeup wise. I mean, so 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 yeah. do you have the you know outside of makeup and and costume prep and you know things like yeah. that i mean do you find that you run into a problem with people and like you know kind of keeping them fresh in front of the camera for that long or it seems like um, you know they have such natural reactions it seems like you you do a great job of like getting some sort of rapport with them yeah i you know and uh, i mean they're actors and, and I, I like to you know, a lot of people i mean when i first started in this business it used to be actors had to be themselves right i mean i don't think that's uh, what happened what actually what changed my mind on that is and that's what I used to try and do you know be yourself kind of thing I started working with with uh, with um, theater companies and every time I shot somebody like a theater company when an actor was in in character it took me like five shots when I got the I got the shot right mm. because they were acting and so I, I like to get them to act right I mean I don't get them to say lines and stuff like that but I say you're an actor use your skills that way right and uh, because that's what they're trained for. If they're trying to be themselves, that's not what they're used to, wow. right? Um, so that's <laughs> been a big change for me in the way I, I approach uh, shooting actors. With with um, corporate clients, I just get them comfortable. Uh, I, I tend to have a, a banter and a patter that just sort of 
is almost nonsensical, I suppose. Not really, but you know, I, I, I keep, I keep talking and, uh, my wife is also really good at getting them relaxed. And once they get in front of the camera, even the CEOs and the people, a lot of times they're not, sometimes they're really people, people, and they're really easy to shoot. Sometimes they're totally not. Uh, but eventually it seems to work out. Uh, if you shoot enough shots and that's what I do, I shoot lots of pictures and, uh, especially with the corporate clients and they just loosen up eventually. So I don't know what the secret is to it. I've just been you know, <laughs> doing it a long time and they tend to, uh, my person, I'm pretty mellow, you know, so I'm kind of goofy. So <laughs> that's work. yeah, I, I'm not intimidating. I guess that's the main thing. Yeah. Right. They can be, the, they can relax around you. That's, that's important. Yeah. And they, and they find that out, you know, relatively quickly. So, so I think it really helps them in the end. Well, Kevin, just as I'm kind of flipping through some of the images in your portfolio, um, I, it just, do you use poses, you know, more, or do you generally just move around a subject? How do you decide on perspective and framing and camera position? Mm, and so well, forth? certain things, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, poses, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty loose that way. I mean, there's certain things I do, you know, I, I like to have people grounded a lot of times, right? I mean, sometimes some people can stand in the middle of a room and, and, and pull it off really well. A lot of people can't. Uh, uh, most people can't. So, you know, if they're leaning against something or sitting on the floor or those kind of things tend to work. And I keep trying to keep them loose. Um, I just try to get their body loose. I, but I also know how to, you know, like you sometimes angles just don't work on people and you just kind of kind of play around with it until you get their angle that works. Right. And, uh, I mean, obviously we change things up too. We don't keep it the same all the time, but, uh, like men and, and they use different lenses for that, for that reason too. Like all men tend to have bigger heads than women. Uh, and you can use a, a longer lens with a man than you can with a woman because you can make them look bulkier. That's okay for a guy, right? Mm. You don't want to do that with a girl. Right. And, and uh, so, you know, I can use even a 50 mil lens on a girl, right? And, and it makes her look really slim and, and, uh, but, but her head isn't too big. Whereas, you know, if you're, um, shooting, uh, a guy with a big head and, and you don't want his body to look weenie either. It's kind of, you know, one of these things. And, I mean, often I use an 85 for most of my stuff, but if I'm having issues that way, that's what I'll tend to do. Hmm. Okay. Well, since you mentioned the 85, I just have to ask, is it is it the 85 that's my dream lens? Is that the one you're talking about? The 1.2? No, you know what? I got the 1.8, but I just, um, my friend David Duchemin, who is a, another photographer here in town, he's got the 1.2, and I tried it, uh, I did a shot down at the beach with my kids the other day, and I got to have that lens now. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I don't know why I haven't had it yet. It's just, I, I really like the lightness of the 85 1.8, but there, there's nothing like that 1.2. It, it, like, it is kind of a beast, isn't it? Well, it's a beautiful, but the thing that's really nice about that lens is that because it's 1.2, like I find that I delete a third of my pictures with my 1.8 mm. because they're out of focus. Oh, right? okay. And, and uh, you know, because I'm shooting in relatively low light, and the 1.2, because it's so, you know, I, I guess because it's such, got such a wide open piece of glass there, it, the camera focuses way better. It's probably got better mechanics in it too, but the camera focuses way better. The other thing about it is too, is, you know, when you're shooting in this confined space like this and, uh, um, and you want the background to be different every time, you've got to be able to come up with something. And with that lens, it's easy, right? That's great. That's it's, yeah. You can basically point it at almost anything, and it will make nice, uh, nice bokeh. Exactly. Yeah. So that is my next purchase. <laughs> and that's great. 
Well, yeah. could you could you elaborate a little bit on on the effect that the lens has uh, on shape and size, just for some of the folks that may not be as familiar with those those rules, or maybe trying to decide sure. on a lens for this type of work? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I the I would say the eighty five is my favorite lens. It's it's the most versatile uh, for most people, right? I'd say you can shoot use an eighty five with most people, and it looks good. Okay, sometimes. Um, if you want somebody to look at like a, a girl to look slim and she's a regular size person, right? Uh, an 85 or a 135, which is another lens I use a lot, will make them look heavier than they should be, right? So I'll use an, a 50 mil lens, uh, you know, shooting from the, from the head angle, right? Like sort of uh, not, not top side, but just, just right at eye level. And it makes your body look slimmer and... Uh, as long as their heads aren't big, that works good, right? And I could say women tend to have, you know, smaller heads than men do. So I, I, I say I won't do that with a guy unless he's, unless we're looking for that kind of look, you know, that kind of skinny guy look that I don't know what you'd call that, but uh, it's around there, you know. So that's a, that would be the only thing. I, I find that when you use a longer lens, it, 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 it tends to make people generally heavier looking. Uh, that being said, you know, you can do lots of stuff in Photoshop to make people thinner, I mean, as well, so which we also do, uh, but we don't want it, but because we're shooting actors' headshots, they have to look, walk into the, into the audition room and look like themselves. Mm. So you can't get too crazy with the post-processing. Well, I, and I don't, well, you know, you can do a lot though, because when you're seeing a person in person, uh, you don't see all their flaws, right? I mean, even when they're on film, you don't see their flaws when they're moving. Uh, but when you've got a two-dimensional image of them, you, you can. Mm. And uh, so we take license for that reason. I mean, and in the end, they still look like them. I mean, you know, and they, they just look like a good version of them, but, but really they look just like they're going to look in a, and you know, people wouldn't say, you know, that doesn't look like you at all. That's our, that's our goal to do that. Right. You're, so, you're not lifting eyes or moving lips around. It's, it's just cleaning up little imperfections. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes we do suck in things, you know, right. uh, I mean, <laughs> The uh, I mean that's something we we do quite a bit, uh, but but that's simply I mean a lot of times it's because of the clothes, it's because of the pose, you know. I mean you can have everybody posed a certain way and and they would they would look perfect, but then that gets really boring, right? Mm. Um, so if you can take and that's the other thing with lighting is you can because of Photoshop you can take bigger risks now than you used to be able to. Everything had to be lit perfectly before. Now you can now you can do lighting that's not typically flattering and and fix it later because if you're looking for a certain look, something dramatic, you know, you can get rid of the bags under, under the eyes if you have a top light coming down kind of thing. Mm, right. um, and I do do that. But on the other hand, you do have the, op- you know, the option of doing other stuff with, you know, having Photoshop to be able to and still have the person look like them. So. A few of the images in your corporate, in your corporate catalog have uh, the appearance of maybe use of gels. Do you, do you ever experiment with gels or introduce three, four other lights for accents? You know, a lot of times what I do with that is I'll, if I do use a gel, I don't often actually, I don't use gels typically, although I have used gels on my flash, the one that's lighting somebody on occasion to, if I want to have a bluer background, say for instance, and I don't want to make, and I'm using daylight as my, as my background, as I've talked about before. Uh, I'll use a, a yellow gel on my on my on my main my key light, right? Mm. And then I'll I'll uh, 
uh, I'll do a gray card uh, balance on that. And then the back, so that means the background will go blue, right? right. So that's typically okay. what I do. And, and a lot of times, you know, when the sun's going down and, and it's a cloudy day, it, it is blue out there. So I, if that's, is that colors you're talking about, blue? Or, yeah, there's a, or, there's a gentleman, and it may be that. There's a gentleman, for example, in a, in a pinstripe suit and his back is rimlet with a, some blue light. Um, I think, I think actually that one was shot at, in the studio. Uh, I think that's exactly what I did. I used, um, uh, um, more of a yellow light, like a, a okay. gel on, on, on the flash. That makes sense. So you prefer to warm the main rather than introduce cool lights in other places. It's just, it's just easier. Right. Um, well, you know, while we're talking about Keller, yeah. uh, that's something else that jumps out to me in your, in your portfolios is the use of Keller. Is a lot of that coordinated ahead of time? Are you are you thinking about matching people's eye color, their outfits, or backgrounds to outfits and so? Um, yeah, we tell them to to bring like we have you know we tell them to bring stuff that that that, that works for them. I mean, we do have specific stuff that we try and stay away from. I mean, we basically as far as headshots are concerned, anyway. I mean, it's it's we try and get stuff that's just not distracting. You know, uh, something that's not too jumpy, not bright colors and stuff like that. I tend to be more subdued. Um, I, I like black. I know a lot of people don't. I mean, I shoot with white too. Uh, uh, neutrals, you know, deeper tones, mostly jewel tones and stuff like that. I'll use. Uh, actors tend to have the right stuff uh, for themselves. Mm. They know make themselves, you know, look good and, and whatever. But we, we, I, I get them to bring in a whole bunch of clothes, and then we basically, my wife and I, go through it with them and say, okay, this looks good with your eyes, or yeah. I mean, that's what we do. That's great. So we, yeah. We, I mean, we just you know, have a big clothing rack and we get them to bring in a whole bunch of stuff and then we just go pin, pick through it until we find the stuff that works for them. And that also is probably the advantage too of uh, taking the time that you do with with the shots now that you uh, you have the time to be a little bit more leisurely with that instead of having 30 clients in it a day. And, yeah, yeah. And you can't do much with that at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and typically, I mean, I'd like, to, I'd like to do two clients in a day and just, you know, I mean, someday I think that's what'll happen. But, uh but three is our is our max right at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, having that time is is great. Before we move too far yeah. off of headshots, I'm curious only because Ed and I have been experimenting a little bit with wireless trigger systems. Do you use e- like any TTL stuff? First of all, I guess. If- oh, you know, the TTL stuff. I I don't. I haven't. I haven't played with that much. I my flashes. I tend to just use on uh, manual. Right. Um, although. I did buy Pocket Wizards. Pocket Wizards, yes. Um, the new Pocket Wizard with the EPATL system for the 580, and uh, but I haven't actually used it that way yet. So I might I might try it and see how it how it works. But uh, I don't really need to because I'm not in that kind of environment where I have to um, I, I set things up right. So and I have time to do that. That makes so. sense. Yeah, you're not yeah. just shooting in in dynamic situations as much. Yeah, exactly, and and it has a flex PT5 transceivers thing here that Pocket Wizard has. Okay. Apparently, you can use ETTL with it, but I haven't tried that. Okay. But, but I always use the Pocket Wizards. I I, I love them. They're they're so handy. Well, I, I was also curious if you, when you're um, actually presenting your work to your models, do you generally do that on the same day since you're all digital, or do you take some time and do some presentation? Oh no, yeah, we take. We take time. We we use our, our workflow is we use Lightroom for our proofs, right? And we have a um, uh, a website that I paid a lot of money to build. That's a, that's a uh, uh, sort of a uh, 
they can put the borders and fonts on the pictures themselves and, yeah. and you know pick their favorites and stuff like that and uh so what we do is well is uh, my assistant andrea uh i give her the cards after i've deleted the ones that that, you know, blinks and stuff like that, and she downloads it and, and then does proofs through Lightroom, and then we uh, output them as uh, JPEGs, and then we put them on our website, and then they they go through them from there. So it takes a okay. three or four days okay. to get this. And because, you know, the thing is, the other thing we do is we control every aspect of the shoot, the shots on the end, at, at, in the end as well. Like, we don't let anything go out there it hasn't been retouched or you know, hasn't got our, our, our stamp on it. Okay. Because um, yeah. it's so easy to make stuff look bad. Right. If you, if you, <laughs> uh, you know, if you just give somebody a file, I mean, I know people do that, but I, I don't, I can't see how they could. Uh, and, and if they're, if they're concerned about how their look, work looks, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, are you also finding that models are needing more digital output? Yeah, they, uh, I mean, we, uh, you know, because um, in, in Vancouver here, they use the casting workbook for most of their, most of the casting in town, right? And I think LA has the same thing. And I don't know how, I know LA's had a, a system for a long time that's been different than that, but I think it's catching on there now. But that's what we've used for most of the Vancouver's, you know, time with the movie industry here. And uh, so they need digital files for that. Mm. Um, so they do, yeah, they get... Uh, all of our like we we make repros from they need the eight by tens too because when they go uh, to the edition they're still going to need to bring that with them but we we supply them with a with a, a file a digital file that is perfect for the casting workbook and uh, they can upload it themselves and you know works well for that that comes with the with their their print purchase so what, yeah. what is a casting workbook it's, it's where the uh, casting directors um, when they're doing a, a casting call for a for a movie or a commercial or whatever, they submit or, or they, they put out the information to the agents um, and then the agents will uh, send a uh, casting director, a, a, you know, a bunch of their people that they want to do and they, and they look, look at them through the casting workbook and the casting workbook basically shows their picture, their resume, any kind of um, video stuff that they've done that they can look at and, uh, and that's, how they, that's how they decide who to bring in. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, so it's kind of like a mail order catalog for an actor, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's it's the system that that everybody uses, that the casting directors use. So, you know, they uh, they're every actor is on it, and uh, that's that's where the casting directors. I mean, the agents submit those things to the casting directors, but the casting directors use that for for finding people. Yeah. So, it's, so it is actually a website then. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, great. They used to have these big books uh, with eight by tens in them, but they don't use those anymore. It's all done online. So, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I look through a lot of your yeah your work, and I you know, you see your actors, you see your corporate work, and you see your edible work as well. And it's yeah yeah it it all does remain consistent, even though it is on three different websites with three different clients. Yeah. I, I notice like the color is still a big thing with um with the food yeah. with yeah with your food. Yep. Do you use any tools or anything that helps you work with your color palette that yeah. Um, or do you just like have an eye for it at this point where you uh, just everything I, seems to come together? I suppose I have an eye for it. Um, I mean, I like to keep it simple. I don't like jumpy stuff, right? I, I mean, mm-hmm. to me, the food, and it's the same with the actors, the food is the most important thing. So, you know, as, as I'm telling the actors, you know, your clothes has to be something that, that, uh, that looks good on you, but it, it can't be the focus. The focus has to be your face, right? Mm-hmm. I do the same with the food. So whatever it is I'm using with the food 
has to go, has to be background to the food, right? Um, right. I often see a lot of food stuff that, that isn't that way, that I see something that is drawing your eye away from the food. That's not what I want, right? I want something that draws your eye to the food. So color-wise, I mean, a lot of times, of course, when you're doing food, it's, it's, it's you know, you have a stylist there, and they, they pick this stuff, although generally I find that I'm, I'm the one that, I have a bunch of dishes and stuff here that I use for that kind of thing, but... Uh, if I had a good stylist that could do that kind of thing, that would be great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they tend to know the food really well, but they don't. They don't tend to bring the, the you know the dishes and all the stuff. That oh, all the all the little accents that make it yeah. more real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you uh, talked a little bit about equipment for for people. Did you find that you needed to buy new equipment or change your setup a little bit when you started to experiment with food photography? Well, at, at first, I didn't. I can see the need for it now. When I'm doing commercial jobs, uh, big commercial jobs, I, I rent pro photo gear, okay. typically. I need the power, um, even though I'm still shooting at F. You know, I, I do shoot at a higher um, F-stop when I'm shooting food generally. A lot of times I'll shoot at F4 too, but, uh, but because I'm in closer, I need to shoot at F8 or F11. Mm. And so I, I tend to, to rent pro photo gear um, to do that. So, I mean, I get paid well for those jobs, so it doesn't, you know, it right. works okay for me. Are, are the sizes of modifiers and so forth smaller because the subjects are smaller, or, or have you found you, you like the... Uh... I still use big lights. Yeah. Um, of course, the modifiers around the food is small, you know. I, I use a lot of black cards. I, I take a lot, I, I, I use light, I take light away a lot rather than using a lot of reflectors and stuff like okay. that, right? So I, I tend to, uh, I find, you know, you don't need a lot of lights to do stuff. I mean, I like to use one light a lot, um, or, or one light and a backlight sometimes too. Uh, although with my commercial food stuff, uh, sometimes, I mean, typically, actually, no, now that I'm saying that, I'm actually not, that's not true. I don't always do that. I have three lights actually with my food stuff. <laughs> you I lied to us. Yeah, I tend to use a, a backlight at three quarter, and then I use two two frontal lights that I use for fill, right? Um, okay. But uh, I, I make them very soft, and they're always feathered off. I mean, I, I, I don't want anything to look lit per se, you know. I like it to still look like natural, and uh, I found I had an issue. Like I use, I like using natural light shooting food, but the problem is, is especially in Vancouver, is that you don't have that natural light all the time. And it's not practical when you're shooting commercial jobs because you got to get, you know, 8, 10, 12 shots done in a day. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of people in the set. And so I, I started using strobes and I developed ways of making strobes look like natural light um, for the food stuff, which was a challenge, but finally figured it out. So care to share some of that, <laughs> that experience with us? I mean... Yeah, I, I, um, you know, I, I used to have, because I have the, you know, I've got this 1,200 square foot studio. It's not huge. Um... And I have the kitchen close to my set, and which is fine, especially you know when you're shooting. But the problem is, is that is that you get a lot of light spillage and stuff like that. And I was using you know continuous light, either either my my fluorescence or daylight. And I, I was having issues because I had to block everything in so that you know nobody could get at the set, and the, the food stuff was having a difficult time getting at it. So I developed a way to shoot with strobe, doing the same thing. Uh, and I still use, I use my seven foot active octobank for that a lot too. I mean, it's my main source coming from behind at a three quarter, you know, from, from behind. And I use two lights, small lights up front. Uh, and those used to be my, my Ellen comms, uh, the 200 watt second ones. I just, and those just, I just use those to feather light into the front of the, of the subject. Right. Mm. 
I find that film film just doesn't. Although it looks good, it doesn't look. It doesn't give you enough punch. So a little bit of like a fill card or something like that. But when you're using these little lights, uh, you can do that. And the other thing I do is I is I'll sometimes I'll I'll shoot two or three different exposures and put them together, which works well too for food because it's not going anywhere. It's staying. Oh right. Tripod. Right? Are you on a tripod then generally? Yeah, I have a big studio stand that I use for that. Okay. I lock it off and then I then I you know and a lot of times like there's a shot on my website of um, some Fentiman's uh, root beer and it's three, three bottles. And that shot's completely impossible to do in reality, uh, but it looks real and it's four or five exposures put together. So, Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. And, well, uh, actually I was, I just started playing with some of my first H- HDR uh, type photography. Um, yeah. I'm curious. What do you use? Special software? Do you do it in Photoshop? Do you, you know, do you have a specific? Yeah, the, you know, I, I, I do. It in, I use Lightroom and I use Photoshop. Right. Um, basically, so long as you have everything locked off and nothing moves, it's it's really quite easy, right? Uh, like for instance, the bottles in that Fentiman shot. I don't know. Uh, like there's side lighting on them. Right. And there's a there's a lot of room behind them. Right. There's a big my whole studio behind them. Uh, but you can't actually do that in reality. And also the, the light coming in from the windows, it goes, it goes across the bottom of that. I don't know if you've seen that shot there, but yeah, I'm looking at the, it. Yeah. The light coming across the bottom, uh, on the table itself is actually from the window. Uh, but I had to light the front of the bottles and you couldn't do that and get that light to show up on the bottom. So those are all composites, right? Like the, the, the actual light on the sides of the bottles, the lights, the soft boxes are right in against the soft, right in against the bottles and from behind. So if those were on, it would have blown the shadows away that are in the front from the windows. Yeah. And so those are, yeah, exactly. So they're all separate shots, right? Mm. And the other thing is too, is you wouldn't be able to, you'd see the soft boxes in the shot. So I, I did, I, I did the shot with the soft boxes, took them out, then, then shot the, <laughs> the, 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 the window light shot with no lights on, just the, just the wind light, light coming in from the window, and then the, then I used fill uh, a small fill light in the front to to get the the actual uh, labels. And that's excellent. And that's all done separate, <laughs> every piece of it. So yeah, and that's that's a so lot of fun. So I like doing that kind of stuff. So essentially, it's a it's a a comped photo illustration at that point. Yeah, it is. Right. Yeah, but I try to make it look like it's not. Right. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, I. You've had me fooled. I tell you that. I, I didn't think about it either. Yeah. No. That's my. That's that's what I really. I, my signature is trying to make it look like it's not. Uh, like it hasn't been, and nothing's been done to it. Right. So it looks like it's just that's the way it was sitting. But uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not possible. And because of that, I you know, I don't think people understand sometimes the complexity that's involved in these things. So they know oh, it looks easy, mm. but. And I suppose in a sense it is. It's just, you know, it's going to know how to do it. Well, let's talk for a minute more about uh, subtractive lighting. Uh, yeah. You know, I think I think a lot of photographers get a little bit intimidated when, when you start to talk about subtractive lighting. They can they can understand reflectors and fill yeah. a little yeah. better. What, what are some principles that you would recommend to a photographer who's trying to experiment with subtractive lighting? Where Where should he start, so to speak? You know, the thing about what I recommend photographers in general is, is to just try different stuff. But but I use black cards, black foam core cards a lot. And and I would say, I mean, you've got as many images as you could possibly think of with a with a CF card that you can just download and 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 delete, right? I mean, so I would say, like for instance, I um, 
you know, I have a softbox on one side of somebody's face, right? Um, I'll play around with a black card on the same side to block the light from hitting the same, that side of the face, right? Uh, does that make sense? It's and uh, um, I don't know if I can explain it that easily. Is that uh, more like using it almost as a flag, or it's a flag? Yeah, okay. I, I'm basically flagging light off. Like I, I have the main source of light, and then I shape the light with the with with the um, with the black cards, okay. right? Oh. Um, so it, I mean, it's pretty. I mean, the the whole thing is is you got to try stuff. You, you know, you can't you can't stick to a formula, right? Right. You'll you'll never learn it if you if you do that. You gotta you gotta just play. And and the thing about digital is you can do that. You couldn't do that with film, right? Went <laughs> the waste, you know, four hundred Polaroids, and which I used to do, but and uh, months of waiting for <laughs> for labs yeah, and so forth, right? Exactly, yeah. And and I, you know, I I think digital was my was was really my where I started feeling comfortable with photography because uh, before that I was never one of these technical guys that could really you know, get a system down. Uh, but I am, but I'm pretty loose with stuff and I like to play. So, so that's what digital has done for me. That's and I think that anybody, you know, that that's, that's what, if, if people are willing to get out, you know, to just try stuff, you know, anything, right. Right. Uh, that, that really helped me a lot. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, when you began working in the food industry, what are some of the differences in, t- uh, and one I heard you sort of mention is that, when you're in your studio with a headshot actor, it's basically you and them. <laughs> yeah. Is that, exactly. is that, what are some other differences that, uh, when you, well, the food stuff, the food stuff is really different. It's generally a big bunch of people. Uh, there's a, there's the client and then there's the ad agency and, and there's a food stylist and two or three assistants and, uh, and everybody has a say. Um, so it's really, uh, technical. And a lot of times they'll come with layouts, mm. um, which is, you know, makes it easier. Uh, my job, though, it, it generally, when I'm doing that kind of stuff, is is a lot easier than the food stylist because I, I set up the lights and I don't have to change them that much once I, you know, because generally you're doing a, um, you know, if you're doing five or six shots in a day or eight shots, whatever, you're sticking with similar lighting, right? If you're not, then you're only doing one or two shots. Um, so, but the stylist has to do all the other picky stuff, right? right. And, and that's, and that's why I've come up with systems that, that are easy to, to move around and easy to work with. I mean, as I was saying, I use the, the, the Octobank in the back and then I have two small chimeras, which I use in the front with some four by four translucent, four by five, four, uh, scrims, right. That I use in the front to fill and I, and I take the, the the um and it, it, I never have the lights in front of the food though it's always to the side or behind right just to give it shape right and I use these small chimeras and, and I back them off until I get the right ratio basically excellent so, and then once you have it set up you're saying I mean if somebody's doing an ad campaign that they want the uniform light probably anyway yeah, or, or yeah. a menu or yeah pretty something. much I mean I mean you know every 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 bit of food is different so you have to make some adjustments but but I I make it in a way that I've set up the lighting so that it's simple to change right and it's not complicated like a lot of people use hard edge light sources and those are very complex to work with right you know you have uh, like they'll use you know the stuff that looks like sunlight and that kind of thing mm. although I've, I've used that before and I can do it I, I prefer the softer look right. and it's and it's easier to work with so okay well how about some how about a couple of tips on how to photograph pizza <laughs> how to photograph pizza uh, backlighting generally you probably hear that a lot from food photographers but generally I 
I, I, I'm actually working on a piece of pizza right now as we speak here. Um, so let me for, take for dinner or for a photo? It's actually in some Photoshop right now. I'm just working on it. Um, <laughs> it, it to, to shoot, and, and there's a thing called a pizza pull where you have where you're pulling the pizza up off of the um, at a thing in this cheese oh, yes. thing. You know that's a common thing that you do, and that's that's hard to do. That's really it's hard for the stylist. There's not very many people that can do it. But with that, I mean, that's I'm looking at my lighting that I used on this one, and I basically did the same thing I just talked about, three quarter uh, back um, with the octabank, and then I had the two lights in front that sort of just makes them fill, but it doesn't look like it's filled, mm. and uh, so pretty straightforward. Except you had to use flash with that one because you can't you can't, and that's why I developed this actually. This kind of lighting was for these pizza poles. Oh, really? Because you, you have somebody actually lifting that pizza up as it, as it goes. You can't, because the cheese doesn't last if you don't do that. It has right. to be shot right away. I always wondered how so, they did that. Yeah. Well, what they do is they, it's, it's interesting. They, they, they cut the, they, they bake the pizza halfway, then they, then they cut the piece out, then they put cheese over top of it again, and then they bake it again, mm. and then they, they lift the pizza up All after right. that. Because so, yeah. <laughs> every time I've tried to cut a slice out, it, it of course, cuts through the cheese. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of make these zigzag patterns afterwards, and on the cheese, and melt it again, and then pull it up. And, and we use a, 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 actually a clothing steamer. Oh, really? For, for the cheese. <laughs> wow. And and they, they, the stylists use that a lot for different things. So, huh. so that's great. Yeah, right. yeah. So that's what you need, Bill. You need your wife's clothing steamer. <laughs> Absolutely. To take it to the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she'll love she'll <laughs> love that. It'll make the cheese look <laughs> fresh for sure. And I don't know how it'll taste after that. But. <laughs> right. But it does bring the life back to it. That's excellent. My cheese tastes like woolite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> are, are, do you, are liquids any different in terms of lighting? I mean, is it? They. Um, it seems like it would also look really well with backlight and. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That's. I mean. That's generally. You know. Uh, backlight. 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 I don't know. I, that's what I like. And backlight or side light. I. Uh, but yeah, I have some kind of backlight for 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 liquids for sure. It's just generally how I do it. That's excellent. No, it's pretty straightforward, but that's, no, that's well, what works. Your images are, are are really amazing. Really, uh, to me, they they feel very warm and and real, which is yeah something that sets them apart. I think. Well, that's you know, and and I don't know. Uh, I mean, I I use a simple I use simple techniques, but I guess it's just the overall sense that I want things to be like that kind of carries through, right? Mm. And that being said, I've done this for years, so and I've had lots of headaches. I imagine. <laughs> so hopefully, some of these things will stick in people's minds, and they'll be able to gain from my Absolutely. headache. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing with us the way that you did tonight, Kevin. It's been it's been a real privilege oh. to hear to hear from someone with with uh, with your experience. Oh, thank you. So, are there ways then that people can have opportunities to learn more from you then in the near future? Well, you know David Duchemin, He's he just came out with Within the Frame, the book Within the Frame. He's got a he's got a blog uh, called pixelatedimage.com or that's his website. And he's got another book coming out called Vision Mongers, and I'm in that book along with a, several other photographers. Anyway, he's a friend of mine. He's here in Vancouver, and uh, I'm going to be putting out some. And it's not right away because I'm he just got me into it. He's he's had great success with his eBooks lately that he's been doing, and he wants me to do a few of them. So I'm going to do one on headshots and one on food and one on uh, on uh, composite uh, type photography. Oh, so. Excellent. So, uh, uh, huh. folks can be looking forward to an ebook coming out from you soon. Yeah, within the next, uh, b- 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 just probably after Christmas. Oh, wonderful! Uh, or you know, a year. 
and uh, it's going to be on David's site. So excellent, awesome. We really do appreciate you coming out tonight, and um, no and problem. and I'm sure that it, your your words are going to inspire a lot of a lot of photographers. So all right, on. thank you. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other Light Source episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the Light Source Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source you can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of and as always if you missed any of these links our quick outro here you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net till next time bye-bye Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.